0: When you walk into your local library, you might notice the books on the shelves or people thumbing through the pages. But look a little closer and you'll start to feel an energy in the air. No matter who you are or what you're working on, libraries offer sanctuary, a place to be free with your thoughts, to imagine, to plot, and to learn. To me, libraries are anything but silent. They're spaces that are buzzing, creative, and brave their
1: mothers, their sisters and daughters were being constantly human trafficked out of the village to surrounding countries, mostly to India, and they would never come back home.
2: It's like you get to that stage where you think to yourself, your little girl's proud of you. Yeah. Because I'm doing something, while I'm here, I'm not just sat around, scrounging around, I'm doing something for former kids.
0: I'm Cleo Laskarin, your host and a member of the exhibitions team here at the British Library. One of the coolest parts of working in a library is getting to meet people from all walks of life. And in this brand new podcast, we're going to be sharing stories of people using libraries to make amazing things happen. I'll be using the help of some of my colleagues, both here in London and Boston Spa in Yorkshire, but also from library projects all around the world. Today, we're starting with the theme of freedom, I decided to head to the Sir John Ripley Treasures Gallery at the British Library to consult some references.
3: The year is 1215 we're talking about. Just over 800 years ago, we're in medieval England. And the king is a man called King John, or as often we now describe him, Bad King John.
0: Meet Julian Harrison. He's a curator at the British Library and an expert in medieval manuscripts.
3: He was one of the worst kings in history, not just in England, but maybe across the world. He was a tyrant. He abused his rule, he abused his privileges, and he was a a
0: nasty piece of work. By 1215, Bad King John was completely out of control. As king, he lived above the law and answered to no one. He was implicated in his own nephew's murder, accused of attempting to rape and seduce the nobility's wives and daughters, he locked an enemy's family in Windsor Castle until they starved to death, and perhaps most absurdly, at 19, he offended some Irish chieftains by tugging on their very long beards.
3: Quite astonishing, I mean, he just lacked any form of sense or diplomacy.
0: Was there anyone that he didn't fall out with?
3: He was disliked by everybody, basically until such time that the barons actually decided to rebel and in the summer of 1215 at a place called Runnymede which is now on the river Thames they agreed a famous document between the king and the barons which is called Magna Carta. The name Magna Carta is a latin word it means essentially the great charter and this was what we would call nowadays actually a peace treaty. Magna Carta was a document which enabled the king and the barons, we're talking about the leading men in England to settle their differences. Some of the clauses proved really fundamental to the development of law in England, to the extent that some of those clauses still remain active and effective in British rule today.
0: Most of the clauses in Magna Carta have become irrelevant with time, such as, no town or person shall be forced to build bridges over rivers, except those with an ancient obligation to do so. But one very important clause not only held bad King John accountable for his actions, but has also gone on to shape British law and ideas of freedom. No free man shall be seized or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or deprived of his standing in any other way, nor will we proceed with force against him or send others to do so, except by lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. Although only three of Magna Carta's clauses remain on the statute book, it lives on as a potent and internationally recognized symbol of liberty, rights and justice. The document that paved the way to trial by jury and ensures that no one is above the law. But the original intentions of Magna Carta were not as universal as modern-day human rights legislation.
3: So you you saw that initial clause that says, no free man shall be seized or imprisoned. Well, that's now interpreted as no person. But at that particular time, Magna Carta was just an agreement between the king on the one hand, and a select group of the very wealthy barons and nobles on the other hand.
0: So not only at this time did man just mean man, it also meant, like, wealthy man.
3: Yeah, essentially. And the, the man on the street, as you would say, wouldn't even have known what was happening at that particular time.
0: So I'm standing in front of a case, and inside of it is a piece of paper, probably about the size of a sheet of A3, and... It's sort of a beige color, and it's got some brown writing on it. The writing's pretty small, kind of hard to read, and it's pretty inconspicuous overall. There's quite a big seal on it, which maybe is more noticeable, but overall, it's just a piece of parchment with some writing on it. Yet, here it is in this room, in a glass case, all on its own, and it is the Magna Carta. So as you mentioned, fragments of this document continue to be part of English law, but just bits. And so why do you think it's still such an important and enduring document?
3: I think why Magna Carta is so important is influenced so many people across the world, across so many centuries. So for example, it was used by Thomas Jefferson when he was drafting the Declaration of Independence in the United States in 1776. It's, it's quoted by Nelson Mandela at his trial in 1963 when he was on trial for his life. It has influenced so many people and so many people hark back to it. The name Magna Carta seems to be more important than the actual contents of the original
0: document. It seems like most people would know the name even if they don't realise that they're still benefiting from rights and laws that sort of echo the original document
3: no i give you a, a great example people still think that magna carta applies to them in weird and wonderful ways so for example it's not unknown here at the british library for people to contact us so a good example is when they say um i've been given a parking fine surely i shouldn't be <laughs> responsible for paying it surely my rights are enshrined in magna carta well i'm afraid to say magna carta doesn't mention cars or or parking fines (laughs) at all. But this is a good example of how people sort of think that it, it defines their rights and freedoms and gives them privileges that are... Well, it does in many ways, but not necessarily the ones that you might imagine.
0: Or the ones you might want them to, such as a parking fine. So as we've been standing here, this room is filled up with people coming to see the Magna Carta. People are able to just sort of come in off the street and without paying freely enter and see it. It means that it's for everyone, which is pretty amazing.
3: Absolutely, and as a document which enshrines all our rights and liberties, it's absolutely important that everybody should be able to come and see it for free at the library and to enjoy it like so many people are here today.
0: It's amazing that an 800-year-old document still has such an effect on how people think about their rights and freedoms to this day. At the British Library, we're lucky to have many other items in our collections that chronicle different struggles for freedom throughout history. Things like the minutes of meetings held by the Committee for the Abolition of the Slave Trade, two political pamphlets from the suffrage movement pushing for votes for women, and the Wolfenden Report of 1957, a key document that helped change both the law and public attitudes towards homosexuality. These documents have enduring impact. But while these are artifacts of freedom's gained, our next story deals with the opposite. A situation where freedom is lost entirely. We head to Nottingham.
2: All the way! Hello Baba, it's Daddy. I've got you a new book now. This is called Penguin in Love. Looks a good one, this does, Baba.
4: This is a little story from Dad. Hope you enjoy it. Rasta Mouse and the Double Crossing Diva. One day, Penguin was looking for love. Check Rasta Mouse, Scratchy and Zuma. Big up the Easy Crew. What's he found? A mitten. Crime fighting special agents and a super cool reggae band, too.
2: I've got a three year old. Uh, my son's 10 and my other daughter's 13 next week. A three year old would get like. Bedtime stories read to her and stories in the daytime read to her when she says, um, I want that story, Daddy. Or, have you got a story? What you can tell me? She loves me to make stories up for her. Uh, And she'd sit there all day and listen to them. Yeah, I love doing it because you could never make her bored. You could always tell her something else. Yeah, what else? What else? What else? She's always asking you what else has happened in something. Yeah, so she's always interested to find out things.
4: Um, I've got a daughter and a son. They're both six years old. They do like books, they like reading, they like adventure stories and and magical things and all of that. It was a mystery. That's strange. Let's have a look at what he's done.
5: We usually arrive around two o'clock. It's held in the library in the education department. We'll sit around. One of the librarians will usually have a little talk it's about the books about the libraries on the art
6: my name's claire clark and i'm a librarian at hmp nottingham and i am very much involved with storytime dads which is held every fortnight and the men are can apply to do Storytime Dads via an app and they are selected then by library staff. We have to look at their records to see if there are any problems with restraining orders or any reason why they wouldn't be in contact with their children. But we offer this uh, as a fantastic way for the men to keep contact with their families and, and their children in particular And we have a constant stream of applications to do this Storytime Dads. So that's really good and they do appreciate it.
0: We're in HMP Nottingham, a Category B men's prison, to witness a session of Storytime Dads, a project that enables incarcerated fathers to read bedtime stories to their children.
4: 25, been in jail now for five years. Yeah, this is my fifth year, so since 2014. I got 12 years, do six in 2014. My children were still very young, about two years old maybe. And yeah, it's not fair on them that I am in prison. So I found out about Storytime Dads just from visiting the library, prison libraries. I always try and get to the prison library as much as I can, get um, <clears throat> new books and like keep my reading up. And obviously I saw an advertisement for Storybook Dads. I've done it once. My done it, first time I've done it, i only done it for my daughter. She really enjoyed it. She came up on a visit. She wouldn't stop talking about it. Told me how much she loved it. My girlfriend told me that she used to play it every day before bedtime and that. So I thought, oh, well, obviously it's very good. Like, I just carried on doing it. Past the city park. No time to stop and play. They're off to judge at the talent show and the signs of Montego Bay.
2: So basically, our story times, Dad works, you're uh, all turn up down here. You pick your books, whichever books you want to read. And then I always scan through the books first, so I know what I'm reading. Sort of sign things out in the books, because a story, you want to make it sound a different person each time, so I always do that in my head first, and then uh, we sit in a little room we do, and then we record them. Uh, But it's like I'm talking to my daughter, it's like I'm actually reading to her, because I always say, you're right, Baba.
5: And then one of the ladies will put it onto a CD for us, and it's posted by the Monday. So they really work hard to get everything collaborated in time. And everybody that comes really appreciates it. I know I do.
2: Um, And then we make cards. Different cards are what we can make and we can put our own little things in there. Whatever you want to write to your kids you can write uh, in your cards. Um, And then we get them sent off basically. And then I can't wait for that phone call to say, I've got your cards. Yeah, yeah, that's a good bit. I can see
4: you get quite emotional, but thinking
2: about it. Yeah, it's like you get to that stage where you think to yourself, your little girl's proud of you, yeah. Because I'm doing something, why I'm here? I'm not just sat around, scrounging around, I'm doing something for my kids. That means the world to me, yeah, yeah.
5: The First time I uh, sent some books out, they wasn't expecting anything. So there was when they come, it was like there was like presents to them, surprises, uh, and then when I ring up once they've received them, they got can't shut up about the books. It's it's magical. I, I'm not much use as a father being in here. I bring up and speak to my children and see them on the visits but the day to day being a dad just does not exist so by being able to do what we do on story time dads it just gives um it gives me the chance to um still be part of the lives in just a small part a small way keep a connection going yeah, I love it
0: This project doesn't only benefit the children. It's given the dads involved a focus, a reason to improve their own reading skills and something to build towards for when they get out.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah, it definitely makes me feel proud that I can do it for my kids. Makes me happy to know that my kids are happy when they hear it and when they receive it. And um, September 2020, I'll be home. Um, And obviously, hopefully then I'll be able to put the stuff that I've learned from coming to Storybook Dads into real life, and read to my kids every day, and,
2: yeah. No, at school, I, I used to hate reading, hate it. This was probably one of the first times I read in a long time, unless I was on the phone or something out like there, I'd read bits, but I could never read a long story. But since coming to prison and coming down to New Storytimes Dads, I read more back in my cell now as well, I'm starting to read more. And I'll continue reading stories to my little girl. Yeah, 100%, I'll continue doing that. Because I'm there face-to-face then with her. So it's not over a CD. Yeah, so she's got the real thing.
5: <laughs> like I said, I was never educated when I was young. I was kicked out of all schools. And because I want to do right by my children, and because uh, like of time Dads, I started going back to education. I've done all sorts, I'm now, I'm just waiting now for some funding to do a diploma. So I've done all my basic mass English, I've got level three functioning skills in teaching. They say it's the equivalent of an A-level. I'm a mentor. Coming to storytime dads has had an impact on me doing all that. Because without this, I wouldn't have been thinking about education with my kids, and then I want to well, I better get educated myself. Yeah, it's had a huge impact on my life.
0: Thanks to HMP Nottingham, Claire Clark, and the dads who gave up their precious story recording time to talk to us. One thing that became clear when interviewing the men is that they all love the prison library. In fact, it's by being regulars at the library that they all found out about storytime dads. It's also important to note that this service doesn't just give children a bedtime story, it's more than that, it's a crucial part of the men's rehabilitation, too. According to a similar organization, Storybook Dads, the men that maintain contact with their children are six times less likely to reoffend. To finish our episode today, we head to Batase, a beautiful village overlooking the Himalayan mountains in rural Nepal. The first voice you'll hear is that of Fulmaya Tameng, a local from Batase. The phone line isn't great, and that's because she fit this call around giving tours of Mount Everest. One day, she hopes to reach the summit.
7: I am Fulmaya Tamang from Batasi Village. I am 27 years old. I work as a trekking guide.
1: My name is Christina Lee. I am currently a third year uh, studying law and human rights at the Australian National University in Canberra. Batasi is a
7: beautiful village, eastern side of uh, Nepal, and we can see the range from Batasi village.
1: So I first heard about Batasi village in 2012 when I was in grade eight of high school. I met a guy from the village who started up a charity in Cairns in Australia to support his village back home called Som Tamang, and Som told me all about his village and Uh, Four years later, when I graduated from high school in 2016, I decided I have to go. This is the time. And four days after graduating, I got on a plane and went to Nepal. And I could say there my life changed. I met the most beautiful human beings, but behind their smiles, they all had
0: traumatic scars. As Christina started to explore Batase, she began to realize the devastating effect that human trafficking had had on the area. Following the Nepalese earthquake of 2015 and a period of rebuilding and recovery, Batase had been left with limited opportunities. Young women were being forced to leave education early in search of jobs and marriage. A lack of awareness meant that women were left vulnerable to exploitation and false offers from those outside the village. Being a two-day trek from the nearest town of Kathmandu and with no access to newspapers or the internet, the people just didn't have the tools at hand to protect themselves. Their mothers, their sisters and daughters were being
1: constantly human trafficked out of the village to surrounding countries, mostly to India, and they would never come back home.
7: Ten years ago, there were so many young women sold in India. Most of the Bhattacharya village people
5: couldn't afford for education.
1: So on the first night when we arrived in Batasi village we had an introduction session where we got to speak to the students and the students would introduce themselves to us and it was actually a quite emotional experience because everybody had a different story and every single story was heartbreaking but one of them that I really, really touched by was a story of this 16-year-old girl called Rita. And Rita's dad, two years ago, was in prison because of trafficking women out of the village, and she was crying and crying and saying, my dad is the reason why these people get trafficked out. Um, And there she was, not able to do anything about it, but she gave me so much strength in the sense she wasn't miserable and giving up. She was there because she wanted to find out about the other opportunities because she didn't want to fall into the trap. She didn't want to have anything to do with that. She knew that there's something
0: more out there. Throughout her first trip as a volunteer, Christina continued to be moved by the stories of local women such as Rita, and was struck by just how different their lives were in comparison. It played on her mind. When I
1: returned to Australia after my time in Nepal, I thought, I have to do something. What can I do as a first-year university student? And that's when I contacted Libraries
0: Without Borders, an NGO in Paris, uh, for help. To Christina, a library seemed like an obvious option an open space to help connect this remote village to education and the outside world. So Christina submitted a proposal to Libraries Without Borders for a fully crowdfunded student-led project, which most importantly had to be designed in collaboration with the people of Batase Village. Libraries Without Borders quickly came on board, and Christina began to build her team, enrolling her fellow students at the Australian National University and the charity Friends of Himalayan Children. Together, they began building the foundation for a 21st century library.
1: While we were crowdfunding here in Australia, the Nepalese team um, in Batase were building. Actually, we transformed a shed into a library. So this is a quite big shed that could fill in probably 100 or 150 people in it. And uh, they put up concrete walls, they put in lights, they put up a roof.
0: Christina's fundraiser received donations from all over the world, raising 12,000 euros in support of the library for Batase. The team began deciding what should be on the shelves, starting with a 1,000 physical books in both English and Nepalese. The English books were donated by supporters in Australia, and the Nepalese books were chosen by the Batase village students in Kathmandu. But in order to make this a 21st century library, they needed more than just books. They decided to set up Batase library with a digital component. For this they use something called a Kumbuk, an innovation in the form of a computer-like box that allows users to access a curated internet. Here's Christina again to explain how it works. Number one, Kumbuk had a human trafficking awareness
1: feature so when users log in to use the tablet they have to go through four questions. These questions are the ones exactly asked by the traffickers, such as, do you want a job? Do you wanna work in Kathmandu? Do you wanna support your family? Do you hate going to school? And kids out of curiosity will click on the question that are posed to them in Nepalese. And when they click on it, they're led to a video. So it's a link that shows them a video of what it actually means to be working in Kathmandu or what it means to follow these people. So when the opportunity arises, now they have the opportunity to make an informed decision. It's not like they will solely believe what the traffickers tell them. They know the other side of the story because at the end of the day, we can't force anybody not to go or not to make up their mind in a certain way. But now we've given them
0: the freedom to choose, but in an informed way. By the end of 2018, the library in Batase was nearly ready to open. With the kumbh books stocked and books selected, Christina and her team made their way back to the village. In the end, we
1: had 14 uh, students in our team so everyone took uh, 10 kilograms of books and also sanitary pads for the girls in the village and we went over to Kathmandu in December 2018 and then we trekked for two days to get to Batasi but the books and all the library resources were taken up by uh, a four-wheel drive thankfully so on Christmas 2018 we officially opened the library and All the villagers from Batasi came. And
0: yeah, I could say Christmas 2018 was the best day of my life. This library is offering something more than just a space to read. It's a place where women and girls can learn, grow and become independent. A lot of the female villagers miss out on a traditional education due to stigma. And now they've got a place to go. Christina and Fulmaya, who we've been hearing on the phone, built a strong friendship and Fulmaya became an important advocate for the library in the village.
1: So Fulmaya is one of the five people uh, that look after the library. Fulmaya is the first girl to attain a diploma in pharmacy and now studying a bachelor's degree in Kathmandu. So she is a true testament that girls can do anything. Uh, Despite the harsh reality, especially in Nepal, she is an inspiration to so many girls in Batase. Uh, 10 years ago, there were if there were eight boys in the school, there'd be two girls. But right now, it's exactly half-half. So more girls are attending school because of Fulmaya. Parents see that marriage is not the only way to a better future. Fulmaya is not married and she's well beyond the average um, marrying age in Nepal. But she stands firm and she wants to pursue education. Fulmaya would go and speak to other girls like, oh no, but education is important and She's like the living proof that it is because it's so hard to break stigma or to tell the parents that education is important when really it's a long-term thing. She also is included in the Kumbuk as one of the human trafficking awareness videos. So when you click, I don't wanna go to school, she comes up and then she talks about why school is important and why she stayed and why it changed her life in a good way and why other girls and other boys should too.
7: I think education makes a huge difference in women's woman's life. It makes us dependent and it makes us strong mentally. And education is very important for everyone in Nepal. Now, because of 21st century library in Ghatase village helps a lot because they come to learn about human trafficking and how how to be safe. So Patashi Library helps
1: a lot. With this library, they have more uh, freedom to make informed decisions, freedom um, to not fall into a trap, uh, freedom to support their families, and also the freedom to dream. I think that's the most beautiful thing about a library. No matter who you are, there's a book for you. Thank you very much to everyone
7: and for helping
0: to build 21st century library in Batase village. Christina Lee and Fumaya Tame from the Batase village library. What a wonderful project and a great example of people giving themselves the tools to secure their own futures. We often take access to information for granted. But when information can be manipulated, it's clear to see that libraries are pillars for truth. Not only in Batase, but all around the world, libraries serve the purpose of helping you interpret the life around you and make your own choices. I think that's something we should always celebrate. That's all for this episode of Anything But Silent. Thanks again to our Magna Carta expert, Julian Harrison, the dads and librarian, Claire Clark from HMP Nottingham. Fumaya Tamang and Christina Lee from Bataze Village Library. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a rating and review. You can also get in touch by emailing podcast at bl.uk or on social media at British Library using the hashtag anythingbutsilent. Remember, the British Library, like many libraries around the world, is free and it's open to everyone. We're based at St. Pancras in London and Boston Spa in Yorkshire and at www.bl.uk, where you can explore our collection from wherever you are. Our new exhibition is Writing, Making Your Mark, where you can discover the extraordinary story behind one of humankind's greatest achievements, from hieroglyphs to emojis. It's on in London until the 27th of August, and there are pop-up exhibitions happening in tandem at libraries across the UK. Anything But Silent is a PixiU production for the British Library. We'll be back with a special bonus episode in two weeks' time. But until then, from me, Cleo Laskarin, thanks for listening.